Hi, Kristen here, and this is Monday Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with psychologist Dr. Jessica Lee about mental health and family relationships. Although I'm talking with a licensed psychologist, this does not replace your personal and unique mental health care. I encourage you all to reach out to a professional if you or someone else you know is struggling with mental health. And with that said, here's the episode. So I'm here today with Dr. Jessica Lee. Hi. Hello. Um, so before we get started about the um, sensitive issues, just tell me a little bit about your career and how you got started as a psychologist. Um, it's a very typical Korean story, <laughs> Korean immigrant story. So um, I came here when I was 16. So I studied the second semester of ninth grade um, when I came here. And my parents had always wanted me to be a doctor. and. Um, I really rebelled when I um, was in high school and college, and so I, um, to make long story short, I didn't have good enough grades to go get into med school. Finally, when I decided I wanted to pursue something professional, um, so I decided, okay, they really want me to be a doctor, so I'll get a doctorate and see what happens. That's how I ended up here. <laughs> how long have you been in Denver? Uh, 20 years. 20 years, wow. That's amazing. Some issues that I would like to discuss with you are generational and cultural issues that I've seen many first-generation Asian-Americans complain about. And on Facebook recently, I saw a post about how this one girl, she felt like her parents were abusive and non-supportive with her career goals and how they're always comparing her to other Asian-American kids that she knew. Um, what do you? What would you say to someone who came into your office and told you that? I think, I think it's really difficult for the first generation because um, you guys are at the really the first ones to have to assimilate both the old culture and the new culture. Um, the immigrants who came here, like their parents, are still, you know for the most part, a lot of them still have the very Korean values they grew up with. Um, mainly because also they came here when they were fully, I guess, um, matured in their 20s or even 30s and 40s. So, and by nature of immigration, not only the Koreans, but a lot of the immigrants who come to this country, they like to adhere to the values of their own culture. Um, even if they had lived here for many, many decades. So Koreans who moved here and lived here for 30 years compared to their cohorts back in South Korea, um, in many ways they're even more traditional. The people who are here are more traditional and more uh, sort of Korean in a way because they really had to embrace the identity of Korea and being a Korean in order to feel like they can sustain their own identity in this environment. Whereas Koreans living in Korea, they were born and raised there, living in Korean culture, living with Koreans. They don't ever think about, am I Korean? Am I something else? 
So in many ways, the Korean immigrants here are more Korean, so to speak, quote unquote, than the Koreans in Korea. So for the first generation, this is the, the first generations, it's very difficult to understand that because when you see um, you know, Korean movies, magazines nowadays, they have a lot of reality shows in Korea and you, you know, I'm sure a lot of you are exposed to that. When you see that, you see that Korea is very progressive in many ways. Um, and yet you see your parents and they're so very traditional, so very strict, and so very in many ways narrow in their experiences. Um, and so I think for the first generation it's difficult to understand. And what else is going on for the first generation is you have to really assimilate and make sense of the culture you live in, the larger culture, the dominant culture of America, and the culture, the microcosm of the culture that you are sort of entrenched at home in your Korean community. Maybe a lot of people go to church, so the Korean church community. Now you have to sort of um, assimilate all those values and make sense of it. So that's very confusing and very difficult at times. So as you, as you are going through your developmental cycles, um, just like any adolescent of, out of any culture, you, your job is to sort of rebel and figure out where your boundaries are and really figure out who you are as a person as you grow. Um, part of that for immigrant children is to figure out who they are culturally as well. So not only figuring out who you are as an individual, aside from your parents and aside from your family, but you also have to figure out who you are in, in relation to this Korean culture versus the American culture. So it gets quite, a, kind of, you know, quite convoluted. So um, when you are growing up, when you're going to school, the kids you are associating with are predominantly you know, the dominant culture. So you are entrenched in it huge part of your identity is that and you come home and then you have to sort of struggle with the identity that your parents are trying to instill in you. So natural part of that also as a being an adolescent is to rebel against that as well in order to make sense of who you are as a person. So that's part of, part of that is a natural sort of growing process. Um, another thing is that I think often the immigrant parents forget to explain why they're you know, trying to instill their tradition and cultural values in their children. Um, they're busy often, working a lot, and they just assume it's a given that this is your culture, this is where I come from, this is where you come from, you should know it already. And therefore, without explaining, they're just expecting them to understand it. For your generation, it's very difficult to understand because you see that maybe sometimes it seems very, um, uh, what's the word, um, hypocritical. Um, okay, you go out with your friends maybe after church, and but you don't want me to come home after 11 o'clock, you want me to, I have a curfew at 11, I am senior in high school and that doesn't fly with me. Um, so sometimes it looks very hypocritical. Sometimes you just feel like, okay, if there's so much pressure between these two disparate cultures that you refuse to 
understand what that's about. So you rebel against it. So, for example, the one example that you talked about on Facebook or what was yeah, it? Yeah, it was on Facebook. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the person was talking about they. It feels like she or he was being abused by mm -hmm. the parents, by the strict rules and expectations and constant comparison, perhaps, and not um, accepting enough of, of his or her accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Part of that is also understanding where it stems from in Korea. We are, you know, Korean culture is very modest, so you don't ever flaunt how well you're doing how smart you are, how pretty you are, how wealthy you are. Um, it's always, you can strive for more. It's a Confucius-based um, tradition. So you have to be modest. You always, um, the value is in, in um, deprecating yourself. Self-deprecation is, is the core value in a way. And for American people who, um, especially your generation, who consider themselves more American, that's a difficult thing to understand because it, this country, America, is all about individuality and proud of your own identity, proud of who you are and what your accomplishment is. It gives you a sense of autonomy, it gives you a sense of identity, it gives you a sense of um, self-confidence. So, you know, you one way you're encouraged to think and feel that way, and then when you come home, you feel like, well, you're not studying enough, you're not going to Ivy League school, or, you know, your friends are doing this, and I, my friend's daughter is doing this, and you're not doing this. It's all about comparison. So it feels like your parents don't understand you. You have to also understand the parents, that's how they grew up. It's their way of expressing love and expectation, unfortunately. And so if somebody comes into my office, my job is to help them understand Obviously, they love each other, they want to understand each other, but they have, in a way, different, they are speaking different languages, in a way. Even if your parents may speak great English, in a way, they're speaking different language because their values and expectations are different from yours. So helping them understand where the parents, parents are coming from, I think that's the beginning of therapy if the person like that is you know has to come to my office education is first um, step in this because a lot of times they don't have a role model to really explain it to them and they don't understand it so understanding perhaps leads to acceptance of what that is and so for um, first-generation Americans like me, um, how should we communicate with our parents that we want our own individuality, that we want to like stay out later or go to art school or um, just like, you know, school, yes. yeah, non-traditional <laughs> Asian stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Non-traditional Asian stuff. Yeah. Art school, oh boy, that's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> so how to communicate with your parents? I guess it's difficult for every younger generation trying to communicate to the older generation. So understanding that part of this is normal, I think that's the first step. Second thing is, I don't know if they will ever really understand your experience because they're not living in your world. They didn't go to school here, they didn't grow up here. So I'm not sure if they'll really understand what you're going through. Just as you really don't under, wouldn't understand um, 
what their experience was like growing up in Korea and immigrating. So I think you approach with wanting to understand them first and ask them about their experience, having them explain to where they come from. And, and then also to help them understand and explain your part of how you were raised. Oftentimes it is simple as that, but, but very difficult to put into practice because there are feelings involved and history involved, right? This is your family. So trying to explain as if you're trying to explain to your professor or, your, um, or doing a presentation, it's, gonna, it's not going to be like that. A lot of times it's gonna be full of emotions, fear, anxiety about it, um, sense of rejection, all of that. So I would encourage then seeking some professional help, like somebody like me, help them you know, communicate um, about it and, and building understanding. But at home on your own, I think it's very important to also put aside some of those hurt feelings and really pushing through and saying, I really want to understand mom and dad, and I really want you to understand my experience, which I believe is not only Korean American specific, but I would say specific to any young, you know, any adolescents or young adults. Mm -hmm. And if, let's talk about like the other side of the coin, if a parent came in here and said, oh, like my child isn't listening to me, I feel disrespected, um, what would you say to the parent? I would explain the same thing on this different side of the token. Mm -hmm. That part of growing up is questioning and testing limits and finding out who, who you really are. And it is really valued when, back in Korea traditionally, when probably the parents were younger, it was valued to follow authority. It's a Confucius authoritarian society. You follow who the head of the household is. You follow the teachers, you follow the leaders, you don't question. That's the value system that they uh, were raised under. So they probably have a very limited understanding. Questioning is, is just a normal way of growing up. So I will also help them understand and normalize that process as acceptable and normal for them. Mm -hmm. I I've seen other generational issues between child and parents about like um, you know recently a lot of younger kids like my age they don't want to have their own kids for financial reasons or just because they don't want to leave a big carbon footprint mm -hmm. and um, I know that for Asian parents having grandkids is um, a top priority after their kid reaches like 25 or something so um, what would like, how should people like me explain to the parents that, you know, I don't want kids or I might just adopt or how should we explain that? That's a very good question and a very difficult one to answer. <laughs> um, if you look at the birth rate in South Korea and Japan, it's, uh, you know, it's going down so drastically. People are encouraged by the government. They're, you know, giving monetary incentive to have children. So I have, you know, I have to then assume that it is more acceptable back in South Korea and Japan to really ponder about do I need to just procreate and have lots of kids or do I need to want to consciously not have children or maybe have one or adopt? Mm -hmm. I think those questions are more accepted and encouraged to be explored mm -hmm. back in the motherland. 
However, <laughs> as I said, when immigrants come here, one of the ways they really feel like they, they count is by strongly adhering to the old belief system. Mm -hmm. So that's more reason that you know, they're, they think that it's very, very important for you to have children, for them to be great you know, mm -hmm. grandparents and great-grandparents and all of that. So I can only imagine if you <laughs> tell your parents who have carbon footprints and I don't want children for that reason. I can't even imagine that. Um, how should you explain it to them? Again, I think it goes back to helping them accept that you are growing up and you have grown up in a completely different world. Mm -hmm. I think probably I'd, I would have to assume some of the Koreans back in South Korea are having difficulty with that as well, old generation versus newer generation. And it is about understanding, you know, bridging, building that bridge of understanding between the generations. To do it uh, personally with your parents, I think you would, in some ways, I would have to say your parents will probably want some proof, like, okay, you are an adult, you're making a sound decision. Mm -hmm. I see that you have a job, you can support yourself, and right. maybe you're dating, but you still choose not to, or maybe you're married and you still choose not to have children. So maybe helping them understand, I am responsible, I have done these things, and I feel like um, you've done a, you know, and this is also kind of mirroring their achievement, you've done a great job raising me, a great person, mm -hmm. who is capable of making his or her own choices and I think that's the part you need to stress gratitude thanking them you have helped me to become who I am and therefore you did a great job and therefore I am able to make my independent choices at this point and also explain that it's not personal that you're not you're not choosing to have not have children because for some you know unresolved issues that you want to piss them off right yeah, it seems like a lot of the solutions to these problems are just like sitting down and talking. I think with your that's parents. the yes. I think that's the only way because there's no way they can live your life and you can live their life going back and really understanding what you guys experienced individually. And that's the. I think that's the sadness of the immigration generations is that, the lifestyle and the society within which you grow up is so different from what they grew up in, that it is very difficult for them to understand what that's like. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that um, with like second and third generation Asian Americans that issue will be um, less extreme? Yes, yes. The more, I think, the more you're exposed to growing up here and you are able to adapt more and more, understand more values, and your experiences become more, um, more similar in ways. So I think it's a lot easier probably to understand and talk to each other that way. There was one other issue that I would like to discuss with you, and um, that's just on the issue of Asian American women. There's this issue that, you know, Asian American women, we are seen as, like, we are described as cute, um, as, like, small, and even though, like, people may say, like, oh, you're so cute, you're so little, they mean it as a compliment, but it might be um, subtly racist. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of my friends go through that and they're saying like, oh, I don't want to be seen, like even though I'm small and short, I don't want to be seen as cute, I want to be, you know, authoritative 
what can Asian American women do more to be, you know, more aggressive but not seen as like uh, too overpowering, I guess. Yeah. Um, whenever I see a person of a color or a person of a different culture back in my office, um, the most salient thing that comes up is their struggle to really dispel that stereotype they have to live under. I've had this very successful um, African-American attorney, gentle, um, well-spoken, um, mild-mannered person. I mean, if you, if you see him, there's no way you would think he has any aggressive bone in his body. But he often has to deal with, in his own firm, with a stereotype of like, you know, black people, black men especially, are aggressive and and they're hyper-masculine and, and, and they tend to be violent. So he finds himself often having to navigate through that, you know, stereotype and prejudice. And for Asian women in particular, I think that's a um, really good point. Historically, Asian women were viewed either as hypersexual or very um, submissive and passive. And then there's this dragon lady stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. One who's very controlling and dominant and, and right. uh, conniving and manipulative. And, and I think that's what you're tapping into. If you want to be uh, pretty assertive in a professional setting, even if you're petite in stature, if you want to assert yourself, that I think oftentimes may be construed as the stereotype of, yeah, she's very conniving and manipulative and power hungry and so forth. So there's no way to win here, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So I think the only way to deal with it is keep educating people around you mm -hmm. and saying it instead of just experiencing it. Hey, when you make that comment, I understand you and you know, say it as a compliment, but you, you have to understand that can be misconstrued as a racist comment. Mm -hmm. So educating them every time, don't just let it pass by, but educating them. Second is, you will not win if always you have to live by somebody else's standard. So in some ways you have to say, well, screw it. Mm -hmm. If they think I beat that stereotype, if they think I meet this stereotype, and if I'm acting in order to, you know, contradict themselves, then I'm in the mercy of who they are. They're controlling me. Right. So I would encourage you to say, okay, I have to look at myself, within myself, who I really am, and I have to feel confident to be able to behave and act and say things the way is true to my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know that you mentioned that you immigrated to the U.S. when you were younger. Um, did you have any experiences with, you know, working under stereotypes when you were growing up or when you were in um, graduate school or what was that like for you? Um, growing up, we moved to Houston, Texas mm -hmm. uh, from large city of Seoul and where, you know, I was used to going around by myself uh, on a subway and buses and all that. Um, so it was huge culture shock mm -hmm. and I went to high school in the suburb of Houston where everybody was wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots and um, and has really not seen a lot of Asians mm -hmm. and so that was a challenge for for me 
um, and then I decided to leave Texas as soon as I could. Um, so I went to grad school in San Diego. There the challenge was different. Now they're only seeing me as an Asian and who, you know, asking me to represent my whole culture. Great. So they were saying, okay, what is your experience like? What is, um, what does that mean for, uh, you know, Korean immigrant? Speak for other people, speak for that experience, which it was a daunting task for me because I was just still, you know, it was only a few years since after I arrived in the U.S. I was just trying to still figure out who I am. And um, here they are asking to represent the whole Korean nationality. <laughs> <laughs> so that stereotype was difficult as well. Then I started doing internships in uh, hospital settings, and there you get a lot of resistance. A lot of people, uh, a lot of patients will call you names, and also the funny thing about it is that they think that you're really good at math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that you, they think that you're really smart. <laughs> so, funny thing that is some people will really listen to you, some people really act out and call you names. So I sort of had to learn how to deal with all of that, not only in a personal way, but also clinically, mm -hmm. <laughs> using that as a clinical material. Doing private practice is a, a different experience because it's self-selecting, right? People who choose to come and see me knowing that I'm a person of color, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that I'm a person of different background, it's self-selecting. For people who cho choose to do that, they have pretty much have, uh, I would say, more open mind, mm -hmm. um, more willingness to accept differences. So it's it's a little easier to work with people. Right. And so since it is like a private practice, do you see more people of color walking in or is it still about like the same demographic? Largely reflects the same demographic of this country. Okay. Um, I think the mental health issues and availability of help are still too limited to the people of color mm -hmm. and also culturally it's less a lot less acceptable right. for uh, people of color to be in therapy you know mm -hmm. I see I, I guess, dare say I, I've seen a handful of Koreans since I've practiced here in Denver about 20 years mm -hmm. because it's just not in their repertoire um, right. Usually they get into some kind of accident and was referred by an attorney. People who are of Asian background who seek out therapy on their own tends to be the first generation or further. Right. And so like what would you, like how would you get someone who is a person of color or particularly Asians to go into therapy even though like they can't afford it or they're scared of like the stigma of having a mental health issue what could I do as a bystander to help them get into therapy? Um, well, um, I think you can find some resources on the website on mental health, especially the National Institute of Mental Health. They have a good website on explaining different um, disorders and symptoms and really um, using the language of destigmatizing. And I think one thing that you can do as an individual is that therapy is not about mental illness, mm -hmm. so to speak, that you have to have certain type of heavy-duty diagnosis to be in therapy. But, I do, for example, I do a lot of stress management. Okay. People who may not have a clinical diagnosis, per se, can come here 
and get some help in how to go about their you know difficulties in life whether it's permanent or temporary or prolonged or short term they can get help um, I think the biggest fear is a lot of times they don't know where to go right so for example you were still in school mm -hmm. and you know you can direct them to the school counseling center it's completely private it's affordable um, it's mostly peers so you can you know just encourage them to just go one session or just to call someone and have a brief phone conversation okay. um, have you had experience with therapy if you don't mind me asking uh, no I don't think so I've like talked to like guidance counselors at school about like smaller issues with like friends and stuff but I've never had to like go to like an official therapist do you know of anybody um, friends who's been to therapy or who is in therapy um yeah we're not we're not close mm -hmm. but I do know some people that have so that might be a good resource mm -hmm. um, that person might be a good resource if that person is you know open to talking with other people maybe also directing them to somebody who has had the experience of therapy um, so that that person can ask questions. Okay. I think that's a good way of helping them mm -hmm. with it. And how does um, the idea of going to therapy change for people of color? I think, strangely enough, you, you started asking me about um, the person who construed, you know, who, um, who thought that her parents, his or her parents, are being abusive for mm -hmm. their strict values and expectations on his, him or her. Um, you started speaking about that first. Um, so oddly enough, when people feel like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm more American than Korean a lot of times, and yet they're they're really putting their Korean values on me. But then there comes the hypocrisy, right? There comes a lack of sort of self-awareness in some ways. You do adhere to some of the values because there's more stigma in your mind about going to therapy if you're an Asian American, especially first generation or the immigrant generation, right? Because it's not acceptable, it's not encouraged. Second, third, I think it's a lot more acceptable, accepted in, among them, but for the immigrant generation and first generation, it's it's a I would say a stigma for a lot of people. So I think that's something that you need to examine first. Why do I accept some values mm -hmm. and yet reject some others, right? Um, so exploring that first. The stigma itself, once they're in the office, I, my experience is that what they're struggling is, bottom line is, yes, there is a layer of perhaps racism, um, sexism, those things are on maybe um, on the top layer. The bottom layer, the real core of the issues is pretty much similar to any people, whether person of color or not. Yeah, that's great. It's not something that I ever thought about. So, let's see. We're almost out of time here. Is there anything else that you would like to add on or just mention before we um, end the interview? So I would say, on, since I am in this field, um, we start. You know, we talk about the mental health issues. Um, I would really encourage people to explore any conflict they might experience emotionally and internally and have difficult time really 
opening up to other people, explore therapy. It's not about, you know, heavy-duty mental disorder and uh, illnesses or, or, so to speak, being crazy. It is about life struggles and being able to find some answers. And if you see, if you don't feel comfortable that the person who is a therapist is the dominant culture can't understand you, seek out. There are a lot of us who are from different backgrounds practicing. Seek out those people and talk to them. Start talking to them. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for this opportunity. The music that you're listening to was produced by Jerris. The podcast itself was edited and produced by me. For more updates about my pod, blog, and other Asian American culture, follow me on Instagram at mondu underscore pod. Thanks, and have a great day.